welcome to the Door of Life Church podcast. Our mission is to share the love of Jesus with the world and believers, to teach them how to walk in victory, and to help them find and fulfill God's plan for their life. If you have any comments about today's podcast, please contact us through our website at dooroflife.org. Door of Life Church, where faith meets real life. Ready? <laughs> Man, I have had a precious time with the Lord this week as I've been seeking his heart for this message. And I know I say that every time I get up here, and it's true. So, but this message, I just have to tell you, it feels different to me. Um, there's kind of a usual format that the Lord, you know, works out with me, um, that's not happening this morning. And uh, I can only describe it as I'm going to be giving you a story, a story of stories, a story that weaves together his word, people's stories, testimonies, discussions, and even a prophetic word. And the story is all about being in his presence. And I just remembered that I should be turning this on. How do I turn this on? It's on. And there we go. And so the title of the message is simply this, In His Presence. And I want to just start out in prayer. Father God, I just look to you to continue what you've already started here this morning. I feel your presence so heavily right now. I actually just want to bawl my eyes out right now, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, have your way, Holy Spirit. This is all for your glory, Father God. <sighs> this is about you. You have put this within me, and I trust you to help me to deliver it in a way that will honor you and will bring all glory to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. First of all, I just want to remind us all, and we've been kind of hearing it this morning, um, in his presence, we're in his presence right now. He's here. You're here. Thank you, Father. We invited Holy Spirit into this place this morning. And if you've invited Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, he's not only here, he's here. He's inside of you. You, me, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. And the Lord reminded me of a passage this morning out of Psalm 139. And it's, I don't know if that'll work, but anyway, I'm going to just read it. It's Psalm 139, and it's verses 7 through 11. I'm reading it out of the Passion Translation. Um, and it's David, and he's simply saying this, where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, 
Your hand will guide me. Your strength will power, empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me. For your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. Thank you. So we're in his presence right now. But as you may have heard, uh, there's the manifestation of God's presence. Mighty moves of the Spirit are being experienced in different places across our land. On February 8th, revival broke out at Asbury University, a small Christian college in Kentucky, and it is spreading. It is spreading to other colleges across our nation, spilling over into the cities that these colleges call home. There are countries that are in revival right now. I'm hearing of the Philippines. I'm hearing of Uganda. Uh, in the last couple weeks, Santa Monica, California, of all places, had a Jesus march. Not just hundreds. I'm hearing now thousands. Um, not to protest. They weren't marching in protest. They were marching in proclamation. I saw uh, pictures. They were just holding big, huge flags that just simply said, Jesus is king. Amen. They were proclaiming Jesus is king. Hallelujah. So what is God up to? Well, this morning, under your direction and guidance, Lord, he's calling me just to tell you true stories about revival what revival is looking like right now in his presence. He wants to give us a taste of what it's looked like in the past in his presence. And then this story that I'm gonna tell this morning is just gonna share how Holy Spirit is weaving both together, the past and the present, to give an understanding, a new vision, of what revival can look like for each one of us here right now, in his presence. And right now, you might be asking, what does revival even mean? Well, I think that will be revealed throughout the course of this message. The story that I have been called to bring to you this morning begins with brief excerpts of testimonies from the Asbury Revival. Uh, a testimony from a student that attends the theological seminary there a Bible professor who teaches at Asbury, and a person who traveled to Asbury to be a part of this revival. First, though, the student, he shared this observation. He said, in each move of the Spirit, God clearly manifests in a specific way for that generation. In other words, what I think he was saying is, there are no two revivals that look alike. It's the same God. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Holy Spirit. But each move of the Spirit will have its own unique, beautiful signature. Praise God. This student contrasted the Asbury Revival with several past moves of the Spirit, one of which was the Azusa Street Revival. I just want to take a brief look at that revival. For those of you that are not familiar with the Azusa Street Revival, this happened in Los Angeles, California, back in the early 1900s. And it's near and dear to my heart because I had to do a lot of research on it. I had to write a paper on it for one of my college classes. And what 
part of what made it so interesting for me was not only what took place at this revival, not only what came out of this revival, but who attended this revival and who God chose to lead this revival. The Azusa Street Revival, and I'm just taking it right out of my paper, uh, began with blacks, Latinos, whites, Asians, the rich and the poor, immigrants and natives, young and old, male and female, educated and uneducated, all coming together under one roof as one body, worshiping God, receiving and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and spreading the gospel. Now, in today's culture, that may not seem unusual, who God brought together for that particular revival. But in, in those days, it was remarkable because it was a diverse group gathered together under the dark cloud of the evil Jim Crow laws. You see, a black person laying hands on a white person in prayer was illegal. A black person could not touch a white person. How interesting, then, that God called a black man to lead the Azusa Street Revival. A journalist covering the event at the time simply said this, the color line was washed away in the blood, in the blood of Jesus. Praise God. How interesting that some of the leaders of the Azusa Street Revival were women. In a time when many believed women should not be in church leadership positions, and in a time when women couldn't even vote. But God. You know, it reminds me of who traveled with Jesus during his ministry here on earth. It was quite a very diverse group of men and women. Can you imagine women traveling with Jesus in biblical times? Scandalous. <laughs> so it would seem then that the very people that were disqualified by the world's rules, tended to be the ones called and qualified by God's rules. The unity on Azusa Street provided a modern-day visual of Galatians 3.28, which says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise God. The Azusa Street Revival broke out in a run-down, empty building that had once been, among other things, a horse stable. In contrast, the Asbury Revival broke out in a university during a campus chapel service with a bunch of college students. So while God brought together a diverse group of people together in unity for Azusa, which made a huge statement in that day and time, in our day and time, it would seem that revival has started out with a crowd of Gen Zs. What is God up to? Now, I just want to clarify. When we say Gen Z or we say Generation Z, um, the U.S. Census says that it is the youngest generation with adult members, and they have classified it as people born between 1997 and 2013. So that is Gen Z. Well, a mom and her sister along with their teenage children, attended the Asbury Revival. And here's what she had to say. What we experienced is difficult to explain. The university was wisely allowing only 16 to 25-year-olds into the 100-year-old chapel. 
everyone else waited outside as the revival was streamed on giant screens and speakers. It was as if the Gen Z was inside the chapel being commissioned as parents and grandparents were outside lifting them up. She said, I couldn't get my 16-year-old to leave the chapel. What a problem to have. <laughs> the love and presence of God was outside too and very tangible. Everyone was full of joy, even the police officers directing traffic. I've never experienced anything like it. Hmm, interesting. Commissioning teenagers and young adults. What is God up to? Going back to the eyewitness account of the student, he stated that God would mark this outpouring with a tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety, a restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness, an authentic hope for a generation marked by depression, a leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power, a focus on participatory adoration for an age of digital distraction. Let me translate that. I think what he's trying to say there is that in an age where people are glued to their screens, glued to their social media, the focus is shifting to participating in adoration of the one true living God. Hallelujah. Amen. He went on to say, it feels as if God is personally meeting young adults in ways meaningful to them. My generation was formed differently than previous generations. And so the traits of this revival are different than revivals of old. The new outpouring is not just the signs and wonders, nor zealous intercession, nor spontaneous tongues, nor charismatic physicalities, nor the visceral travail. It is marked by a tangible feeling of holistic peace, a restorative sense of belonging, a non-anxious presence through felt safety, repentance driven by experienced kindness, humble stewardship of power and holiness through treasuring adoration. And now, just an excerpt, a couple excerpts of a testimony from a professor who actually teaches there. And she actually wrote an article on the revival, and I found it online. You can find it online. Her name is Suzanne Nicholson. The title of her article was this, When Streams of Living Water Become a Flood. She shared in her piece that she was not in chapel when the revival started. In fact, I think she was in the dentist's office. She first heard of the revival when a student burst into the New Testament class she was teaching and said, sorry to interrupt. I don't know if you all have heard what's happening upstairs. People are still worshiping even though chapel finished three hours ago. The Holy Spirit is moving. Come join us. And her immediate thought was, is this really the Holy Spirit or just youthful exuberance? And her response was, I'll send them upstairs in about 25 minutes. Because in her mind, she reasoned, you know, if this is truly a movement of God, it'll still be going on after class is done. So, And she confesses that she was cynical 
about the whole thing. And she goes on to say, I confess that I also struggled that first day because I had been carrying some personal burdens and I was afraid that once God started working on my heart, I would be undone a weeping puddle on the floor of Hughes Auditorium. So she went to the auditorium for just a few minutes that first day, and as she put it, well, it certainly appeared that God was moving, the praise was genuine, the prayers unforced. And as she returned to her office, which is directly below the auditorium, she said, I could feel the joy and the peace oozing through my ceiling from upstairs. When I went home that evening, I continued to feel a remarkable spirit of joy and peace. It was so refreshing. She goes on. On the second day of the revival, I went up to the balcony of Hughes Auditorium to let God do the soul work I so desperately needed. When I first entered the balcony, I had a moment where I couldn't breathe. There was a weight in the room like a barometric pressure difference. It took a moment to adjust. We so often forget that our physical bodies are not separate from our spiritual selves. When God appears in powerful ways, we are physically affected by what is happening in our spirits. As I sat and listened to the worship, I wept as God lifted my burdens, and I rejoiced at the sweet, gentle Spirit of God. This was a tender and beautiful outpouring of the Spirit. She said the testimonies have been moving and powerful. We have been led in times of praise, scripture reading, intercessory prayer, and deep repentance. Students have publicly confessed addictions to pornography, anger at God, bitterness of heart, despair as the result of dif difficult family situations, and so much more. For some of these students, I know their stories. And through the semesters, I have seen their anxiety, depression, and deep wounds. Yet now they proclaim healing, joy, and a deep love of God like they have never before experienced. This is not manufactured emotionalism. This is a powerful, transformative movement of God. Hallelujah. One of the things that caught my attention about her testimony was the fact that she did not want to enter in the first day. She didn't want to deal with her personal burdens. But notice on the second day, when she did deal with her stuff, as I call it, I just have to repeat what she said. As I sat and listened to the worship, I wept as God lifted my burdens, and I rejoiced at the sweet, gentle spirit of the Lord. <sighs> lifted her burdens. In the presence of God, her burdens were lifted. In the midst of worship and praise, her burdens were lifted. As I see it, the weight of her burdens was exchanged for the weight of his glory. Anxiety, depression, deep wounds were replaced with healing, joy, and a deep love of God. This is what it looks like in the presence of God. This is what it can look like to be in the presence of God, whether we're sitting on site in the middle of that revival or in the midst of a personal revival in our own home. Last weekend, we had a women's retreat here. And during the course of that day, we had a powerful time of just being alone in the presence of God. We were told to find our own spot in the church. We were not allowed to talk to one another. We weren't even supposed to make eye contact with each other. And of course... 
ditch the phones, get rid of the watches. None were allowed. All it was was you, your Bible, your journal, your pen, and Jesus. We were just told to be silent in the presence of God with no distractions. Now, this lasted for a time, and then we, called, we were called back together, and several of us shared our experiences of being in his presence. What was shared was beautiful and powerful. From the quiet peace and rest of being in his presence to the joy of just basking in his presence to receiving guidance, direction, gentle correction, and encouragement in his presence. And honestly, it made me think of that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In that time, when the professor felt her burdens lifted, oh, she didn't say they were solved. She didn't say that she was given the solutions to what was weighing her down. They were just lifted. And all I could picture was God had given her a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. For her students' healing joy and a deep love for God came about in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. Now, while his presence can literally take our breath away, as it did for her when she entered into that um, revival, it is his breath that gives us life. And I don't know if this will work. It does. Um, actually, one's missing, but that's okay. The first one is Acts 17, 25. And I have to say, it just doesn't get any more basic than this. He himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. A couple of verses later in Acts 17, 28, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. John 15, 5 says, For without me you can do nothing. We can't do life without him. We are hopeless and helpless without him. If we think we can do this thing called life on our own or on our own terms, then we have bought into one of the biggest lies the devil has deceived mankind with. In his presence, God's presence, it's not only where we are called to be for eternity. In his presence is where we need to be, where we have to be here right now. Because as his word says, for he... He's where our life comes from. He's where our every breath comes from. That same professor closed out her article with this. She said, God has chosen this season to pour forth abundantly his spirit at Asbury University. But this does not mean that God is any less accessible in your home church. Pray for the refreshing spirit of God to bless your community. Be persistent. Wait with longing. Don't give up hope. And don't forget that even as you await the flood, you are trees planted by water. Drink deeply of the spirit who is always present. The flood is no replacement for the daily drinking from the streams of God's 
goodness. This flood we are experiencing today is meant to revive us for a purpose, to share the joy and the love of God with those living in a dark world. But also we need this refreshing of the spirit more than ever as a testimony that God has not abandoned this dark world. Going back to the student, he said, as the revival has grown, people attempt to evaluate and participate from their old expectations. You cannot keep new wine in the old wineskin, or it may cause disappointment, disillusionment, and divisiveness. In humility, we must receive the new wine with an open hand, without trying to force this spiritual movement into our well-intended but old expectations of renewal. We must strive to humbly, humbly participate, appreciatively celebrate, and intentionally respond to this surprising work of the Spirit with openness and hunger. And as of last night, I mean, on the conservative news at least, I, these revivals are just all over. And one, the, another one that came up, popped up, was Texas A&M. The reason that stood out to me is they're not a Christian college. A student um, attending their revival services, he said, this is real. And he's got it in capital letters. Worship, repentance, prayers, no leaders, physical healing, baptism, crowds bigger than last night. It's not religion. It's just meeting Jesus. He's got that in capitals. So this brings me to a powerful prophetic word that I'm called to share with you. It was given through a trusted prophet three days before the Asbury revival began, so on February 5th. Now, this prophet lives in Canada, so nowhere near Kentucky, nowhere near Asbury University, and yet this word speaks so powerfully into that revival, into the revivals that are sweeping our nation. And I think that you will see that it speaks powerfully into each one of our lives. Call to throne room worship. Tell my people that I'm calling them to throne room, wor throne room worship. I'm not looking for technical perfection. I'm not seeking a performance or a show. I am looking for your surrendered heart. Come up higher. You can't see what you need to see from there. Come, come, come. Come draw near my throne. You will never again settle for anything less. I'm calling the pure in heart to gather with me. I will take you in and I will take you up. From this place, you will experience the fullness of me. There is so much you have yet to understand. For as you come in, I will bring revelation to my word in you. I will bring it to life. As you gather in throne room worship, I will fill you. I will heal you. I will release new sounds upon the earth. You will see and you will encounter the majesty and the magnificence of my kingdom. It is from this place and this place alone in me and through me and my blood that has made a way for you, that brings you every victory. I am calling you higher. Do not settle for less. For I desire that each one come and gather with me in the spirit of true worship around my throne. 
For as you ascend and as you surrender to me, I will pour out my spirit upon you, my beloved ones. In this place, I will saturate you in my glory. I will wreck you forever in my presence. Nothing less will do. Don't let another hold you back. I'm looking for your yes. We are in a day where this is essential. Your gatherings will never be the same. It is time to come up higher. It is my desire to bring you all into a new place of intimacy. Why look at the clock on the wall when you can look at me? Do not expect to limit me as you enter this place with me. Time will mean nothing. As you come in and dwell with me in this place, I shall move in your midst, and my people will know my fervent love and desire for them. As you gather with me in this place, atmospheres will shift. You will experience a displacement of the enemy, and my glory shall flood the land. As you gather around, mighty hosts of heaven shall engage with you and be released upon the land to do my bidding. Don't hold back. Come up higher. Abandon yourself to me. It is so much bigger than you ever imagined. Now, when I read that word, it hit me for more reasons than one. So I just want to share this as well. The added weight to this word for me is that last year, on this very same Sunday, I delivered a message titled, Come Up Higher. In that message, I shared a word that the Lord had given me on December 27th, 2021, and I read it right out of my journal. It was a kind but firm invitation to come up higher. Throughout that message, we explored what it meant to come up higher, and there were many scripture references. And for this morning, I just want to highlight two in particular to just shore up and support this prophetic word. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to read that again. Raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The other one is Revelation 4.1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. As I have been spending time with the Lord on this, I've been writing down again in my journal things that he has spoken to my heart, spoken to my spirit. And I want to share with you and close with this, just this little tidbit. This is what I heard him say in my spirit. throne room of grace, come boldly. The veil has been torn in two. No more barriers. You are free to enter. Enter into my grace. Enter into my passion. For my grace is more than sufficient for you. 
My passion will overflow you in such a way that you will dance. You will sing my praises. You will sing my word. Hallelujah. In my presence, come up higher. And Pastor Ed, I'm going to ask you to come up and just pray this through for us. Thank you. Just as I'm um, just listening to that word, to that call, to that come up higher, and, you know, we think of that, you know, we think of our spending time with Jesus and getting before him and putting spiritual things first and I see that. I definitely see that hunger and that calling higher. And um, this is part of it. But I see something else that's happening simultaneously with that. Um, it's, um, it's, it's that focus on him. But there's also a coming up higher that's happening that we are, we are we're coming into our own, as it were, in terms of coming into who we are in Christ. That's that higher person. We really are new creations in Christ Jesus. And when you see that, you come up higher. When you see who you are and see who is in you, and as you lay down and you press into the throne room, I don't just speak the name of Jesus as Ed House, a person, a Christian. I speak Ed House as a new creation created in Christ Jesus, righteous by his spirit, temple of the Holy Spirit, created in righteousness and true holiness. There's a coming up higher where we're being who we are. We're doing even the same things we've done before, but we're doing them from that higher place of our identity in who we are. We're doing things as new creations. The righteous are bold as a lion. There's a place that God is calling us that he's already done the work through the cross. When we got born again, we got born again into a new kingdom. We got born again into a new life. We got born again into a new place. Like Carlos spoke that word in Ephesians 2. He raised us up together with him. Not only, were, not only was our old man crucified with him, nevertheless we live, but we were also raised together with him and made to sit together in those heavenly places. And I'm believing that. I'm believing that there's going to be that upward call of God in Christ Jesus that we begin to come into our own. We begin to go there. In other words, being a new creation isn't just something to make me feel a little better about myself. No, I am a new creation. That's a truth. The old has passed away. All has become new. And I see this call higher. I see this coming into the throne room. I see this worshiping the Lord as his new creations, as his children. I see a boldness. I see an identity shift. Not even a new theology. We kind of know this stuff, but seeing it, believing it, and living from that place. And that's when the supernatural can begin to happen and flow and different things like that. There's a um, just a newness of the Spirit we're called to walk in. And I just sense that newness of the Spirit, not an oldness of the letter, but a newness of the Spirit. And even as there's this revival, and even as we're coming into His presence and we're worshiping Him, we're doing it in a newness of Spirit. We're seeing things. 
And we know we have permission to see things because we've been raised up together with him in those heavenly places. We, we cast off the old false humility junk. You know what? It's like, uh, again, what Carla was saying, it's, it's um, new wine for new wineskins. New wine thinking is toxic to those old wineskins. It gets very angry. It's misinterpreted as arrogance and pride, but it isn't. It's just new. It's scriptural. It's right. And there's something when we just come up into being who we are, we're believing it, we're seeing it. Okay, Lord, this is who I am. Now we're going to come into your presence as new creations, created in Christ Jesus. We're coming into your presence as temples of the Holy Spirit. We're coming into your presence with your name. We're coming into your presence as your children. We're coming into your presence in who we are. This is different. We're coming into your presence in a newness of the Spirit. This isn't rat-tat-tat to get God's attention. No, we know who we are. We're coming into His presence with the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing who we are in Christ. Praise God. Coming boldly, humbly, but boldly in who we are in Him. So, Father, as we come before you in the name of Jesus right now, we don't come in an oldness of the letter. We come in that newness of the Spirit. We are born again. We have passed from that kingdom of darkness into your kingdom. We're children of God. Oh, Father God, we're so glad. We are brand new right now. Oh, Jesus, I just pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we see it that we know it, that we believe it, that we embrace it, that we put on that new man. We put on that new man and are transformed by the renewing of our mind, Father God. So Lord, we come before your presence right now as new creations. Go ahead and make this a declaration of faith if your heart can agree. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I'm brand new. It's a gift. My righteousness is a gift. It's not a track record of doing right. It's a gift. And I receive that gift. And I'm righteous because you've given it to me. And I stand clean, created in righteousness and true holiness. That's who I am. Your child, born again, a temple of your spirit. And as I look to you, Father, I acknowledge what, what you did in me. And I thank you that I am brand new. I hear the call to come higher. I'm coming higher. As your child, I'm coming higher to see more clearly what you've done in me, to see you to worship you, to behold you, and be changed from glory to glory, from revelation to revelation, as I see what you've already done in me. I give you thanks, Heavenly Father. I'm going to walk free this year from fear, because I'm going to walk free from the identity of that fear. That's not me. I don't fear that. I'm going to walk free 
from addictions, from things that have bound me. Because that's not me. I reckon myself to be dead to all sin right now. Because this new creation has no addiction. This new creation has no fear. This new creation has no victim complexes. This new creation has the love of God shed abroad, free to love, secure, casting out all fear, focused on you, Jesus. Those good works you've ordained me to walk in, and we will walk in them as we come up higher in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, it's, um, it's interesting to just, I appreciate the message, and I just see the continuity of that message, even in where we're going. It's just exciting to see how God is calling us to be who we are, you know, not just to be, um, again, emotionally inspired by what God has done, but to be who we are. I mean, to think that you're forgiven, you have to humble yourself as a little child to receive that's grace, and that's good. That's how we get born again. But God is calling us to not stop there, to go from Romans chapter 1 all the way into Romans chapter 8, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and declare the same things. I am born again. I do consider myself to be dead to sin. I don't base that on the success of my consecration. I base it on the success of the cross. When he nailed my old man to the cross and he made me a brand new person. And that upward call is a challenge to see yourself as who you are in him. Take on the identity of the new creation. Take on the identity of child God. Take on the identity of love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. In the same way I couldn't do a thing for the forgiveness of my sins, that was grace. This is grace too. It's a gift of righteousness. It's the grace of the new creation. And yet we still have to receive that. In the same way we receive the forgiveness of sins, I am new. Take on that identity. And that's what the scripture says. Put on the new man. You're already new. Put him on. Believe it. See it. And that's that upward call. Excited for it. Praise God.